0: Well, welcome everybody, it's so good to have you with us this morning. Uh, my name's Kevin, I'm one of the pastors here at Vortex, and man, we're in a series called Crowns. We believe that it's important for us to spend some time examining the reality that there are rewards for our relationship with God. There are rewards and I I think that we're kind of kind of anchoring this passage or this series in a passage that comes out of 1 Corinthians 9 and I think there's some reality that's there that is often unexamined. And so I want to start there today 1 Corinthians 9 beginning in verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all of the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Here's a reality for every person in the room. We're all running a race. The book of Hebrews says to run our race with Jesus at the forefront, and like letting him be the author and perfecter of our faith. And, and there are some of us in the room, if we're just quite honest, we're running a race that the target of the race, the objective of the race is maybe not Jesus. We're all running a race, but the Writer here, the Apostle Paul who was writing a local church in Corinth in Greece during the first century is urging them, listen, I want you to understand you're going to run this race, but don't run this race in a way that you don't get the prize. There's a prize if you run this the right way. So he says in the next verse, everyone who competes in the games... Goes into strict training. This was something that that church in Corinth would have understood. They they hosted regularly a competition. It was a lot like the Olympics. People spent years training and getting ready to be a part of the games. And if you competed there a lot, like I have some some. Athletes that I follow who are now preparing for the Olympics that are coming up this summer in Tokyo, they've been working for five, six, sometimes eight, nine years to prepare for this one moment. In the same way, most everyone who competed in the games in Corinth spent four to five years training. It was their full-time job. That's what they did. And then they competed and he says, listen, I want you to understand. They're running this race. They go into strict training. They discipline themselves. They understood there's a cost associated with this. And then he says something in the next verse. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we, we discipline ourselves. We run this race for the right reasons. We do it to get a crown that will last forever. We do it to get a crown that will. They, they, there are people around you that are running this race to get a crown, and it will last for a little while, but it will not last forever. And there are some of us that just need to be reminded that we can run that race for a temporary prize, or we can run it in such a way that we move towards a crown that will last forever. And then, in the last verse of the passage that we're looking, it gets real practical. He says, therefore, I do not run like somebody who's running aimlessly. I don't know about you, but I don't really just take off running for no reason, right? I'm not Forrest Gump. I just felt like running, right? That's not exactly who he's. He's saying, listen, I don't do this. That's not the way. I'm not just running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer who's beating there. I'm not just shadow boxing here. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make my body a slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Now, there's an understanding here for the Apostle Paul that some of us need to hear this. Some of us need to hear this because we are the people that when we see other people make mistakes, we go, that could never be me. I would never do that. I would never be the person that fill in the blank. But see, the Apostle Paul has this understanding that seems as if he's saying, I could be. I could be that person. I I could be disqualified. I don't want to be disqualified, but I could be. And it begs the question for us, what if we were disqualified from our reward? What if in life we ran this race, endured all the pain, but we didn't experience the reward? What if? So last week we opened up this series and I encourage you by just saying, hey, one of the biggest themes you can take out of that passage of Scripture is that we live in a temporary moment, but we're invited into eternal life. That begins right now. If we're living in eternal life right now, if if our life ended, the sentence of our life would not have a period. It would just have a comma because life continues on as we step into eternity with God. So if you look at this, let me just encourage you with this. Don't run this eternal race trying to get a temporary prize. Oh, we live around a lot of people. There's a lot of people that are running this race to get a temporary prize. People who are trying to get more money in the bank, trying to get a new job, trying to get a promotion, new house, bigger car, all of those things. And there's nothing that's inherently bad with those things. But when there are goal in life, when that's the prize that we're chasing. It's a temporary prize that won't last forever. And this race is an eternal race. So we're going to spend a few weeks talking about rewards. We're going to kind of talk about what what God has for us in our relationship with him today. And and, and today I'm going to kind of really kind of zero in on that. Next week I'm talking about how we give up rewards that Jesus purchased for us. I really, I think it's going to be super helpful as we look at just some subtle things that many of us do that take us out of experiencing the rewards that Jesus has purchased for us. Then the next week on March The 22nd, I'm going to share a message called Leveling Up, what it would mean to experience these rewards that God has for us, but on the next level. What would it mean if we started to level up in the rewards that Jesus has for us? In the last week, which is March 29th, the last Sunday of this month, we're going to have just kind of a special worship experience that Sunday as we really kind of zero in on the greatest reward. The greatest reward. I don't want you to miss it. These are all going to be very helpful for you. So today, here's kind of the main idea for us today. So when we choose to follow Jesus, we can live in the rewards he's purchased for us when we choose to follow him. And we're going to look at a passage of scripture in Psalm 103, where the writer David details the rewards of a right relationship with God. It's it's kind of interesting because in the passage of Scripture, he, he labels the rewards as benefits. They're, they're benefits. Benefits to our relationship with God. I don't know if you've ever kind of negotiated a new job. You know, one of the things that we kind of work through when we're looking at a new job is, is I mean, we, first off, we, we start, right, with salary, but then we deal with the benefits, What's time off look like? What does what health care look like? What's, what's your retirement plan? I have known people in, in our church community here who sat down with me and we've worked through this, who have had offers for new jobs, but those new jobs didn't have the same benefits. They had more salary, more money, more prestige, but the benefits were not the same. And because of that, because of that, they chose to say, you know what, I like the benefits here. See, benefits are important. They're important. They're not just important for us, too. Think about it. Benefits have a lasting impact for our family and for generations to come. And when we start talking about health care, that's not just for me. That's for me and my family. Okay, it impacts not just these benefits, don't just impact me, but they they impact our family as well. But when we start to get into things like retirement, benefits not only impact my kids, but they impact my kids' kids and generations that are to come. In the same way, when we deal with Psalm 103 and the benefits that are listed, it's important to understand that those benefits don't just impact our lives when we're living in them, they impact the lives of our family and generations to come. So we're going to go to Psalm 103, beginning in verse 1. It starts off, praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. The next verse, look at this. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. We're kind of called in this scripture to remembrance that, that God has done some things for us, and it's important not to just experience those. And let it go. Some of us, some of us in the room have experienced some powerful things from the hand of God. And we're called not just to experience them, but to also then call ourselves into remembrance of them. Because the way that God has dealt with you shapes his character. And he cannot deal with you in a way that is inconsistent with his character. So it allows us to see, okay, this is who God is. This is who God's going to be. So it continues on. The God who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Next verse. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Next verse, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Psalm 1 through five. I'm gonna give you six rewards that come out of this passage of scripture that I believe that we as people of God can live in in a right relationship with God because Jesus bought these things for us when he died for us on the cross. And the first one is a God who forgives us. We serve a God who forgives us? He began, David says, "Listen, let's not forget his his benefits. He's the God who forgives all your sins." Verse three. This is so important. This is so important to understand the depth of God's forgiveness. I mean, God God is is so good to us. As a matter of fact, David, in reflecting on this, continues on in the psalm, and in verse ten starts to address forgiveness after the passage that we just read. So here's what he says after that. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. How many of y'all are thankful God doesn't treat you like your sins deserve, right? Amen. And he, Or does he repay us according to our iniquities for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now, leave that up there for a moment. In this uh, just few verses, the, the writer it deploys three different words that mean sin. Okay? The first one is the word sin. Now, sin is... It is in the Greek I, lo- I love the Greek word that's used for sin in in the especially as we get into the New Testament it's an archery term it means to miss the mark and, and it's it's one of those things that like there's a center an absolute true center of every bull'seye and no matter how good I am when I pull back and release that arrow it's going to miss the mark that's sin. God has a standard, he has a design, and my deployment of my behavior and my heart misses the mark. Then he uses the word iniquities. Iniquities references the sin that lives in us and in our hearts. Jesus would say in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, you've heard it said, don't murder. But I say to you, if any man in here hates his brother and sister, you've already murdered them in your heart. Oh, you've heard it said, don't don't commit adultery. But I say, if any brother or sister in here has looked on another brother and sister and lusted after them, then you've already committed adultery in your heart. See, Jesus said it wasn't just your behavior. It was what you allowed to live in your heart and in your mind. Iniquity is the sin of that lives in our heart. It's the sin that lives on the inside. It doesn't find its way out into our behavior. It lives on the inside. And what does he say? He does not repay us for our iniquities. Transgression, transgression references a a crossing over of a lie. There's a boundary. God said, stay within. And what did we do? We went, okay. Has walked over that line. We've transgressed his law. This is when sin comes out of our heart and becomes a part of our behavior. And I want you to see this today. That through Jesus Christ, God dealt with the sin that lives in our hearts and the sin that has manifested itself in our behavior. So much so that I would put it this way, that Jesus removes our transgressions. No longer is it how he thinks he literally removed. He took it and he took it upon him on the cross. He remembers our sins no more. The Bible would say that he cast our sins away from him. He chooses not to remember them. And he releases us from our iniquities. That sin that has lived in our heart, God just goes, Listen, by the power of forgiveness, I can release you from that. He's the God who forgives us. What a reward. What a reward. But he's not just the God who forgives us, he's the God who heals us. He's the God who heals us. Healing. Verse 3 says that he's the God who heals all your diseases. And of course, you know, in in a season where we're talking about viruses and flu and some of us have had the stomach bug and it is just not a fun time to be alive for some of us, okay? I had the flu and the stomach bug. Two weeks in a row, y'all. Not fun. But when we think about healing, A lot of times that's just where we we kind of put it in that compartment. But there's some of us in here, we've been carrying a broken heart for a long time. And it's important to be reminded that God heals broken hearts. God will heal your broken hearts. He'll take that shattered mess that's living inside your chest, and he can heal that and put it back together. Some of us have experienced the effects of sin in a relationship, and what was once healthy and vibrant is now fractured and failing. God can heal relationships. Some of us have experienced trauma in the past, there are things that happen to you that should never happen to another human being. And it often happened at the hands of somebody who your family trusted or you trusted. And I want you to hear me. like God's forgiveness doesn't make what they did right, but what it does is it offers in your heart the potential to be healed. Where the things that you're scared of because of what happened to you, you're no longer afraid of. Where there's now freedom from the chains that you've carried. And I don't know about y'all, but sometimes I just get sick of myself. Anybody in here ever get sick of themselves? Okay? You know what we say about ourselves? Well, that's just how I am. That's something I struggle with. Can I just tell you today that Jesus didn't die so that you would stay the way you are? Some some of us just need to be reminded God can heal a broken personality. He can heal it. The healing that is offered is so deep, so complete. I want you to look at this, Isaiah 53, verse 5, and think about what I just showed you when it came to understanding sin. Look at this. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. What is a wound? A wound is an injury that is visible from the outside. Our transgressions are the sin in our hearts that became our behavior. It is visible on the outside. What does this say? He was wounded for our transgression. What is a bruise? A bruise is an injury that stays on the inside. And he was bruised for our iniquities. No matter what we're facing, no matter what we're facing, Jesus paid the price for our healing. Whether it's a broken heart, a sickness, a broken relationship, or even something in your own self that's broken. One of the benefits of our relationship with God is that God is a healer. God is a healer. But God redeems us. It's number three, the third reward that we see in this passage of Scripture. God redeems. I love this word. To deem something means to give it a name, to give it a purpose. And I don't know about you, but there's a point in my life I felt like I had a purpose and a name, and neither one of those were very good but we serve a God that repurposes and renames the God who took Abram and turned him into Abraham, the God who took Simon and turned him into Peter. What does it say? Verse four says, you redeemed us, the God who redeems us, redeems our life from the pit. You know, every person in here We we essentially sold ourselves into slavery by choosing something that was not God. And in that, that slavery to sin that we found ourselves in, when we look at who God redeemed us, we were that, but now he made us something different. See, God has brought us out of the slavery to sin, and he paid the full price for our freedom. He paid the full price. And the price was significant. If you want to understand the value of something, you don't have to look at the price tag. Look at what people are willing to pay for it. If you want to understand your value, look at Ephesians 1, 7. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he, God, purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. There are people in this room, I love you. I will go to war with you, and I will go to war for you. But there is not one person in this room that I would spill the blood of my sons for. Not one. Every person in this room, to the heart of the Father, was worth the life of his son. Every person. We sold ourselves into slavery. And what did he do? The only way out was somebody's life. And he sent his son, Jesus, the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice to come and be what we could never be for ourselves. There's a story in the Old Testament that re- reminds us of what that looks like. There's a prophet. His name was Hosea. And God said, Hosea, I want you to go marry this girl. And Hosea said, well, she's pretty, but she's a prostitute, and I don't believe that's what you'd want from me. And God said, no, I want you to go marry her. So he did, went married her, bought her out of slavery, paid the price, brought her home. And eventually... With very little details in Scripture, we know that she left home, sold herself back into slavery, turned her back on the new life that she'd been offered. And in Hosea 3, verse 1, God speaks to Hosea again. This is out of the message paraphrase. Then God ordered me, start all over. Love your wife again, your wife who's in bed with her latest boyfriend, your cheating wife. Love her the way I, God, love the Israelite people, even as they flirt and party with every God that takes their fancy. So you can imagine the picture. His wife is put on the auction block. He walks in, and you hear a voice from the back of the room. I'll buy her. I'll pay. Whatever whatever it costs, that's my wife, and I'm going to bring her home. But she's the one who left you. I don't care. I don't care. That's my wife. That's a new name. That's a new name. It's a new purpose. That's redemption. That's what it looked like for me and you. Satan had us on the auction block, and Jesus walked in the back and said, "I want that one." And Satan, Satan's response was simple: "It's going to take a life if you're going to get this one." And Jesus was like, "That's that's fine. It, I'll I'll give my life." Purchased by the blood of his own son. Galatians 4 tells us of our new name in verse 7 where it says, Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. You're no longer a slave. Don't even think of yourself that way. You have been redeemed. You have been Redeem. He is the God that redeems us. Number four, he is the God that crowns us. The God that crowns us. Forget not all his benefits. The God who crowns you with love and compassion. What does it mean to be given a crown? Now, we're called a son and a daughter of the king. For a prince or a princess, it would have been customary for the king to crown them. They would have wore a crown, and that crown would have been representative of the authority that the king had, that he had deferred to the prince or the princess. Now when they speak, they speak as agents of the king. They are given an authority and a power that would not be for the average person. That crown represents the authority of the king resting on them. And here's what I know about you and me. God has crowned us with authority to reign over sin and death with love and tender mercy. He has crowned us with an authority in this life as children of his to live with authority over sin and death. But we're supposed to do it with love and mercy. Not like those angry Christians that get mad at everything that happens in the world and post all kind of stuff on Facebook because they don't have the courage to say that kind of stuff to somebody's face. God has crowned us with authority to reign over sin and death with love and mercy. Romans 5:21 says it this way, so just as sin ruled over all the people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We are given victory over sin and death because Jesus won victory over sin and death. And we can live in that authority as God has crowned us sons and daughters of the king. The fifth reward is that God satisfies us. God satisfies us. Forget not all his benefits, the God who satisfies your desires with good things, with good things. Now be, be aware that we live in a world that is going to point you in a direction and say your race is to win that prize. And there are a lot of prizes that a lot of people around us are running this race to try to achieve that are not good things elevated by God in Scripture. If you want what everybody has, chase what everybody's chasing. But if you want what only a few have, you have got to be willing to pursue what only a few are willing to go after. C.S. Lewis, the great Christian thinker from the early part of the 20th century, said that in the heart of every man, there is a hole that is the shape of God. And we can try to fill that with more possessions. We can try to fill it with more affection, more attention, more relationships. We can try to consume it, but nothing will ever satisfy that desire outside of God himself. Proverbs 14 14 says, the backslider and heart will be filled with his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied from above. Listen, you can try to figure out for your own self what your direction and goal would be, or you can listen to the heart of God and wrap your life around the direction that God would put on you. There's no way when you set the trajectory of your own life that you will ever be satisfied. But when we embrace his calling and his purpose, God is going to point our lives in a direction that we can be. Sometimes you just got to look over your life and declare, God, you've been really good to me, and I'm content with what you've given. I'm tired of trying to create all this stuff that I feel like I'm in control of. My plans and my dreams. I'm I'm just going to look at it and say, God, you're in control. I'm trusting you. I just want to be obedient tomorrow. I just want to try to be obedient in this moment. God, I'm going to trust you with all of this. See, when you release control of your life, Jesus becomes your satisfaction. Jesus becomes your satisfaction There is no amount of praise or adoration or attention or wealth or achievement that will ever satisfy what is existing in your heart. Only Jesus can. And some of y'all need to thank God because he put you in a position where you don't have the rest of those things. And you can lean into what God's got for you right now so that when you get those things, you'll know life isn't all about them. Ecclesiastes 5.10 puts it this way. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver. Nor he who loves abundance with increase. There is a God-shaped hole inside your heart that will only be filled with a relationship from God. And when we finally turn our lives to him, release control, he will satisfy you. He will satisfy you. And number six, he is the God that renews us. He is the God that renews us. It is good to know that in the struggles that we're facing in life, that God doesn't leave us to who we have been. Forget not all his benefits. Verse 5 says that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And there's a lot of teaching and a lot of verse that represents this teaching. But, but I just want to go I want to, go to a, a real short verse in the New Testament that kind of represents this. 2 Corinthians 5.17 puts it this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. See, some of y'all need to be reminded that when you gave your life to Jesus, he set you on a journey that was making you new. You are not enslaved or trapped to the things of your past. The word in the Greek that's used in this passage, new, that he's making you new. The old is gone, the new is here. The word in the Greek literally means never Been touched. That's how new. Here's the promise that who you have been isn't who you have to be. Who you have been isn't who you have to be. I'm sorry, but I believe in a God that is bigger than my own personal failures. All the stuff that I've struggled with, the stuff that has derailed my life over and over again, I believe in a God that will rescue me and give me freedom from that. It doesn't have to always be the way it's always been. Forgiveness. He's a God who forgives all your sins. Healing. Healing. He heals all your diseases. Redemption. He redeems you from the pit. That you are crowned. You are crowned with love and tender mercy. You find satisfaction in here. He satisfies all your desires with good things. And we find renewal in him. He will renew your youth. So benefits or rewards. But I want to draw you back to that table where you're talking about the benefits of a new job. Who gets the benefit? Who, who gets benefits when you start looking at is, is it a, a part time employee or a full time employee? For most companies, benefits are relegated to full time employees. If you're a part time employee, that's great. We'll pay you. Thank you for helping. But insurance, retirement, all of those things are reserved for those who are full-time here. Those who are on mission, those who are going above and beyond. Not just the people who are here to kind of help us get a job. Thank you for helping us get a job. We'll pay you for that. But there are benefits for those who are here full-time. Can I just tell you today that that's how it works for the rewards that Jesus purchased for you? when he died on the cross. The rewards are not for those who follow part-time. You cannot be a part-time follower and experience full-time rewards. I believe it's echoed in the words of Jesus in Luke 9 where he talks about what it really means to be all in, full time, in following him. For whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good would it be for someone to gain the whole world yet lose or forfeit their very self. What good would it be if you got that new job, got that new house, got that new relationship? What good would it be for you if you got all that, but you lost your soul in the process? What does he say? You got to deny yourself, dethrone yourself, take up your cross, and then you can follow me. And in that, there are rewards. But there are rewards for full time followers. Maybe today. Some of y'all are like, you know what? I need I need to experience that kind of forgiveness. I, I need healing. I need healing. Maybe, maybe you're here and life has just felt so dissatisfied. Everything just feels like it's not enough. Maybe you're here today. You've just been struggling. You've been struggling with sin, and it's been beating you down. And, and you're like, I want to live that way, where I sense that I have authority over these things that Jesus has defeated. It's already been purchased for you. It's already been bought by the blood of Jesus and the sacrifice that he leveraged on your behalf at the cross. Now, it's your job to surrender your life completely to him and follow. What does that look like? He just told us. You try to save your life. You keep trying to say, this is what I want. I'm going to try. I just want to keep this though. Let me keep this part. No, no. Lose your life for him. And then you can experience the reward. See, it's full-time followers that experience full-time benefits. And maybe today, it's just in your heart as the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you. God's just encouraging you. Hey, you know what? This is a good time for you to respond. I want I want this for you. So we're going to pray together. And as we pray, I think there's some of us in here, just the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. And it's a time for us to say, God, I'm going to lay this down. I'm going to receive what you have for me. God, I, I don't want to be a part-time follower anymore. I want to go all in. I want to be, I'm I'm tired of trying to save my life. I can see it's just like sand going through my fingers. I can't save it, but you can. So God, I just want to stop trying to do this, and I want to go all in for you. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.